This is Politics and Media 101. Parker Malloy is an American writer and blogger who has a lot of incredible thoughts on so-called cancel culture. Like all of our other episodes, this is an edited version of a much longer conversation that was taped live. If you want to join us, ask one of our upcoming guests a question or hear past episodes, please visit our website, pm101.live. Our next episode this Wednesday will feature Eric Erickson, who's a conservative radio host. But back to today's conversation. As you may have seen in the news, Joe Rogan has come under fire for saying offensive things and also spreading straight up misinformation about the COVID pandemic. We started out by asking Parker's thoughts on this, on what Spotify's obligation should be as his distributor, and on what, if anything, people are really referring to when they say cancel culture in a contentious political conversation. Without any further ado, let's roll the tape. What does cancel culture mean to you? <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's kind of the, the question. Cancel culture in itself is sort of this, this buzzword that gets thrown around. And it's one of many buzzwords that gets used in politics and media. I mean, you've got cancel culture, call out culture, political correctness. These are all kind of describing the same thing. Woke, wokeness, wokeness run amok, PC culture gone amok. These, these sorts of things have described the same uh, same kind of phenomenon for decades, really. My one major criticism of this is that you can't really define it. And that's kind of a problem because you can't have a, have a really nice, nuanced conversation about a topic if you can't define it. So, I mean, what does it mean to get canceled? Are we talking about someone getting fired for something they said 10 years ago on Twitter? Or are we talking about deciding not to support the work of someone who is currently doing something horrible and without remorse? Or are we talking about, you know, an ad agency deciding to shake things up by changing what kind of shoes a computer generated piece of candy wears in a TV ad after 25 years? Because all three of these things have been described as cancel culture in some way, shape, or form. So what, it, what does cancel culture mean to me? I, I think it really comes down to, uh, you know, cancel culture as a topic is kind of this, this attempt to take a broader conversation about cause and effect, about people saying they like something, people saying they don't like something, and then wrapping it up in this neat little box that it just does not fit in at all. Censorship, cultural taboos, blacklisting. These are key themes in American history. In high school, I had to read The Scarlet Letter, for example. I'm sure many in the audience have had to read that. I'm sure others have heard of the Red Scare and McCarthyism. Um, I'm wondering, though, is what we're seeing today in American society and cancel culture, and it's a big focus, is it really different than anything else that we've experienced throughout our history of a country? The one big difference here is that cancel culture is really something that gets talked about online, especially. That is something where it's fueled by online debate, online comments, online activism, really. This is slightly different than, you know, the... Uh, political correctness concern of the 80s and 90s. And I think that that is something that we're still trying to come to terms with as a culture, uh, as an actual culture, not as a cancel culture, as a culture to 
really figure out how to interact with so many people all at once. I don't know that we're necessarily meant to connect with thousands of people all the time about our every waking thought. Considering that there have been a lot of legitimate instances where the social shame is appropriate, do you think the online aspect of this from the progressive left, where the incentives are, uh, I'm going to say something, I'm going to point out somebody saying something that I don't like, I'm going to get all this in-group praise, and then I'm going to hopefully get them canceled. In that instance, do you think the movement has been undermined and brought more extreme than it should be? Speaking about anything as, as, as a movement is difficult because the, a movement sort of implies a shared set of goals or at least a, sh- a shared point of view um, or at least some shared objectives. For instance, if you asked 100 people what they think Spotify should do, whether it's you know discussing past use of racial slurs or COVID misinformation or anything else, if you asked 100 people what Spotify should do, you're going to get 100 different answers. And I think that that is part of the challenge uh, that companies face, especially when it comes to how to handle these sorts of criticisms, because I think it is important that that companies acknowledge criticism where it's some is valid, some is not. That's kind of how it goes. They don't necessarily have to listen to what the people criticizing say, but to at least take it in. Um, But because there's not this shared understanding or shared set of goals you're not going to have every, you're not going to find a single situation that makes everyone happy or even makes most people happy. I saw someone tweet earlier about this saying, okay, so if Joe Rogan was taken off, if he lost his gig at Spotify tomorrow, what would change? And the answer is not a lot. I mean, he would, he would just have another platform. He would become even bigger. If anything, this has drawn even more attention to him. Part of the challenge of this broader conversation is just the fact that it's unclear what people want. Cancel culture can mean 50 things to 50 different people. It would benefit society if we were all a little more deliberate about what we mean when we say things like wokeness or cancel culture or critical race theory. These are all catch-all terms. With this Joe Rogan thing, there are two distinct issues here. One was the anti-vaccine stuff, but then there is this other issue, Parker, where I think in 2011, he said some very racist things, and then a friend of his telling a true story about raping women for giving them time on the comedy stage. And Joe Rogan condoned it. He laughed hysterically. He was clapping. uh, No real serious pushback. But then Joe Rogan also, when all of this came to light, he made an apology. He didn't say, I'm sorry if I offended anybody. Um, He said that he was sorry for saying this awful stuff. So I guess in terms from your perspective, when people do say these just mean-spirited things that hurt a lot of people, but maybe it happens a decade or two ago, and then they try to make amends for it and they apologize, is there any type of statute of limitations? And should we as a society be willing to accept their apologies? And where does Joe Rogan fit into this from your perspective? It's not up to me 
to tell anyone else what they should or shouldn't be offended by or what they should or shouldn't think is hurtful. It's really not my my place to to impose a strict it should be five years or whatever. And I guess the question is more how should the people who hold the reins of power, you know, the, the people who run Spotify, for instance, how should they respond to that sort of criticism? And that's where I think the the question should be handled. And a lot of the issues when it comes to people talking about cancel culture and all of that is that it focuses on the people who are hurt or the people who are offended. I think that what needs to happen in this broader discussion is to focus less on individual people and focus more on what is a smart, thoughtful response that places that are receiving these criticisms do. I'm often asked if there's anything you shouldn't joke about, and the answer is no. There's there's no subject out of bounds for comedy. Um, there's nothing you shouldn't joke about, but it depends what the joke is. Comedy comes from a good or a bad place. There are those who consider Dave Chappelle to be a comic genius, but many say his latest special is once again making some critics wonder if it's more offensive than funny. Am I canceled or not? Many saying the jokes he's made in his new special cross the line and are transphobic and dangerous. I think that this directly plays into comedians. There, uh, I believe it was Whitney Cummings. She came out and she's like, well, it's the job of comedians to push the envelope and say provocative things. But it also seems like the comedians and people that get embroiled in these types of controversies fall back on that defense. So when we're looking at this from a societal standpoint, not an individual one, should comedians be given any more leeway than anyone else who, who maybe says something objectionable? And then the, fo- the second part of that question is, does it really come down to whether or not the comedian is funny? That's one of those situations where context matters. If someone is uh, a surgeon and they walk in and they, they say something completely outrageous, it's different than if someone is a comedian who makes a bad joke. There's a little bit of irony that someone whose job is to be funny, to make people laugh, takes themselves so seriously that they're like, I, I am here to take you on a, on a ride of my spooky mental place or whatever. Her tweet the haunted said. house of her mind. The haunted house <laughs> of the mind, which is honestly like that's one of those things that it's so tricky to deal with. And it comes back to something that I wrote about a month ago about kind of my long-standing position on on videos and video clips and compilations. I kind of operate by this idea of the tighter a video is clipped, the less inclined you should be to share it. So we will go for the questions. We will start with Steve Crone. Steve, over to you. Parker, when you talked about context, I think this is the fine thing I find most frustrating, and I just want to get your reaction to it. One thing that I think a lot of people bristle about, and I disagree, is the idea that part of the context is just who is the speaker? Like people who are not allies, people who are not sympathetic to a certain group, a certain cause, just expect that they should get the same grace for doing the same thing or saying the same thing as people who are not. 
And I just want to get your reaction to that. This is this I find eternally frustrating. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, that's a, a good point. I think it's hard to separate who the person is from what they're saying and what they're doing. I mean, if if someone is talking about, for for instance, if if a politician is talking about um, standing up for, actually, I came up with the the perfect example. There was a there was a tweet. Uh, it was last year or the year before. It was one of the tweets when it was around the time of uh, uh, LGBT Pride Month. And I think it was the, the RNC put out a tweet that was just like, happy Pride Month. And what they said was was fine. The tweet on the face of it was. But then if you actually, you know, if you look at the, the policies being pushed by, by um by the Republicans, there's, there's a lot of reason to be like, this is just disingenuous. You're just, you're just pandering to people to try to, to try to make them feel good without paying attention to what's actually happening, you know, behind the curtain, which I mean, that's, that's a lot of politics. A lot of politics is saying one thing and doing another. And that's what I think frustrates a lot of people about politics. So when you, when you try to separate who's saying something and what their history of saying something is from the con- content of what they're saying now, the the moment that's being criticized, uh, I just have a hard time doing that, and and so I think I think that I'm on the same page as you that it's, it's it's difficult to to separate those out, and I don't know that you necessarily should. It's all part of the same package. Thank you, uh, Steve. When I was there, at least in 2016 the higher-ups did want to push towards more inclusion. Obviously, you have your wackadoos who don't, um, and then, you know, you get your state-level policies. It's, it's, um, it's an interesting issue. We will go to Shanette. Shanette, over to you. Thanks so much, Justin, and thanks, Parker. I'm really um, appreciating your comments on this. I think you're making tons of great points. Uh, my question for you is, sort of going back to how you started, where you were talking about how all the social media platforms has made this so much worse because things get amplified and they just can spread like wildfire. Platforms like Spotify, there's no regulation the way there is on you know, traditional radio or television you know, with the FCC. And I, I don't know that I think this should be a thing, but what are your thoughts on if there should be some kind of standards, should there be some type of regulation the way the FCC oversees, um, you know, other more traditional media outlets. Thanks. I've thought a lot about that. One of the things when I was at Media Matters that that came up all the time, uh, people would respond to, we'd post about something that the Fox News did, which was pretty much every day. Um, And people would respond saying, why isn't the FCC looking into this? And it's like, well, because the FCC doesn't, have anything to do with cable. The tweet that I saw in passing, and I'll have to, um, go, oh, it was Ezra Klein uh, earlier today. He was tweeting that once you get to the point where you're trying to solve issues about trust and issues about public health or a- anything like that, if you're trying to solve those with policy, it's already too late. If you put the government in charge of regulating something, you've got the government controlling what is what is being said and what is being put out there and that i think that whether you're anyone someone's on the left or the right they can they can probably agree that they don't want the the other side <laughs> to to be making these these sorts of judgment calls the internet for better or for worse i think is 
kind of the Wild West. The conservative movement online is is a lot stronger, I think, than than the progressive movement, generally speaking, when it comes to these online outlets. And that's because they've had these private investors who have just sunk all sorts of money into these things to get their ideological goals achieved. And that, I think, we've kind of seen how that has pushed the country into a kind of a, a strange place at the moment. I hate the saying, the answer to bad speech is more speech, but I think the answer to bad speech is more speech that ends up getting the same sort of reach. The best thing that Joe Rogan could do, if he wanted, or Spotify could do, is invest more money and invest more time into actually showing more progressive viewpoints or more nuanced viewpoints. Or, you know, if he's going to talk about vaccines, just using using his head. I mean... I think he some of the stuff, this stuff. Yeah, though. some of the stuff that he, that he says on there is is frustrating because it's just like, I it, it's like he rolls into it without thinking. And great power must come great responsibility, right? There's this whole debate about the MAOA gene, which is like this gene that um, black American, you know, black uh, you know, Africans have like much. It's like a proclivity to violence that they have. MAOA gene, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, like, what it is, is it's... You know, if we if you think about, like... You know, kind of white European Asian ancestors as we kind of moved out of Africa. Like, aggression and violence was kind of less necessary. Because we were, like, farmers and stuff. Our last question of the night will go to Mr. Henrock. Henrock, over to you. Hey, how you doing? I appreciate you having me on. That whole you know, I'm not racist kind of argument, to me, kind of goes out the window when you have a guest who pretty much says flat out that Black people are predisposed to violence, that they have a gene that makes them predisposed to violence or makes them more violent than uh, other, you know, than white non-Black people, or you have Candace Owens on there, and, you know, she's saying that climate change isn't an issue, and he promptly pushed back. And then you have Jordan Peterson on there, and he's just like, oh, yeah, I agree with you that climate change isn't an issue. And I think what's missing, too, from that compilation video is just him with the guest, or I don't know if it's a you know a producer or whatever, but he's pretty much urging him to say the N-word just for a cheap laugh, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny, like, I don't know how many episodes he's had, but he's, you know, he's had it for this podcast for over a decade, right, or just about a decade, and but he knew not to use that word with black people in the room. So yes, that's what I'm yeah. really, <laughs> that's where he kind of loses me with that whole, like, I didn't understand, uh, or I, I didn't understand this was not appropriate uh, thing, yeah. especially and the whole, you know, being dropped off in a black neighborhood and then, you know, liking it to planet of the apes. I think, you know, yeah, it's I just, mean, that's yeah, obviously unbelievably offensive. So he had, you know, as as you mentioned, he had Jordan Peterson on pretty recently. And one of the things that the two of them talked about was Jordan Peterson's stance on transgender rights and trans issues generally. And the two of them in their conversation had kind of agreed that trans people were a sign that civilization was collapsing. And as a trans person, seeing something, you know, hearing something like that, it hurts. And I don't think he gets it. And I've tried, like, he and I follow each other on Twitter, but we don't ever 
communicate. I mean, he got upset at something I wrote in 2014. <laughs> so we kind of had a little back and forth there, but I tried reaching out to him and just being like in 2020, I tried reaching out to him, but never got a response because I tried to just reach out to him as a, as a person. And I, here's what I wrote. I wrote, I really don't understand why you have such a laser focus on trans issues. You've got such a big platform and I know you can and do use it to start bigger conversations a lot of the time, but man, it's frustrating that this comes up on your show so often and just with no real concern for accuracy, it's pretty clear that you've staked out a very specific position on trans issues based on who you've had on to discuss the topic and who you don't have on to discuss it. Your guest today's writing on the topic is just so factually flawed that it's hard to know where to even start. But man, claiming that trans activists are somehow trying to make people trans, that's nuts. And it's just as ridiculous to sign on to this idea that there's a social contagion element and also demonic possession, anorexia. I'm just tired. This is a true, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed moment because trans people are just trying to live. But for some reason, that seems to be too much for some people. And that's that's something I sent him in July 2020. He, he never wrote back, but it but it's kind of stuck with me. And, and that's sort of this, this feeling where it's, someone says something so unbelievably hurtful where it's like, I can't even be mad. I can only be disappointed and, and really sad about what, what it means to the world that this is, this is what they've raised up as, as their go-to, you know, he speaks for the people kind of character. And so that's something that while I, I, I can't in any way understand what it's like to, to have to deal with hearing him say, you know, these horrible slurs over and over and over or telling a joke about like, Oh, I only use it when black people aren't in the room, that sort of thing. I, I can't understand that, but I, I can understand what it means to feel, to just be disappointed and really not sure what to do or how to feel about anything that's happening. And that, and that's really what the, the Rogan thing comes down to for me personally, on a personal level, he still says a lot of really horribly misguided things. I think on, on trans people, and he uses anti-trans slurs from time to time. And it's it just makes me sad. Spotify's not going to bump him from Spotify, I don't think. And I don't even know what, what that would really accomplish. The only way you can know if they'll do better is by watching their their actions moving forward. And I don't know if he ever looked at my message when I sent it in July 2020. But since then, he's still had a lot of really mean anti-trans stuff said on his show. So, you know, if, if there was ever an attempt to change on that issue, he didn't take it. And it just makes me sad. You know, I hope that someday it gets through to him and that's kind of all I can hope for. That was very powerful uh, from both of you. Clearly Joe Rogan's an asshole. At least I can say that confidently. Parker, what do you want to leave the audience with? Uh, it can be positive, it could be negative, it could be sad, it could be happy, or somewhere in between. What do you want to leave us with? Um, I, I honestly think that the most important thing I can kind of push for is, is actual dialogue. Because speaking in buzzwords and you know, cancel culture and all, you know, all of this sort of stuff, just it doesn't advance. And I think that one thing... I'm going to try to make more of a point of doing is when someone uses a buzzword instead of saying what they really mean when they say wokeness has gone too far or something like that. I'm going to say, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by this? 
you're just using a word you heard somewhere and you're using it to fill in for anything you don't like. That's all we have for you today. Again, huge thanks to Parker for coming out, to our audience for their questions, and to you for being here. This was an edited version of a much longer conversation that was taped live, just like all of our other episodes. If you want to join us, ask one of our upcoming guests a question, or hear past episodes, please visit our website, pm101.live. You can also take a second to subscribe or leave us a rating on whichever podcast streaming service you're using right now. It's a huge help as our community grows. Our next episode this Wednesday will feature Eric Erickson, a conservative radio host. This has been Politics and Media 101, produced in partnership with Clubhouse. I'm Jeff Browning on behalf of Justin Higgins, our co-founder and our team. Thank you very much for being here. We hope to see you and hear from you soon. 